I Suck at Dating with Dean, Vanessa, and Jared, an iHeartRadio podcast. Yay, welcome to another episode of Help, I Suck at Dating with me, Vanessa, and the lovely Dean. Hey. How are you, bud? Wait, so there's three of us? It's you, Vanessa, and Dean? Me? The, oh, right. Well, you do that too sometimes. So I'm just like... But now you, you can know, see why I do it. You. I'm just copying you. Well, hey, happy to be here, Vanessa. Thanks for calling in on this episode of Help by Suck at Dating. No Jared in studio today, so it's just me and you, you on the phone in Montreal. Uh, All me, the way in good old Montreal. Good old Montreal. And in studio, we have Erica and Easton today. Um... But we're going to start off, Vanessa, by just having, I don't know, fill, fill us in on kind of what's going on in your life. I know we kind of... Well, what I love about the podcast is what people may not know, we don't talk every day. So we really just fill each other in every time we like get on the phone and do the podcast. So I get to know what's going on in your life or Jared's life, literally, um, like a couple of minutes before we start, we start airing. So there's not much going on in my life, unfortunately. I'm not madly in love like uh, Jared is with Ashley, but... I mean, I'm looking for a place to live in Montreal now. I guess it's becoming a little bit more of a permanent thing. Well, wait, I thought you were only going to be there for the summer. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. Um, I think I want to be here for a little bit longer, kind of like Montreal is home, so I want to be able to set my roots in Montreal. And then, you know, if work allows me to travel back and forth, then I'll do that. But I don't know. I think um, I think my heart is going to set in Montreal. Well, not... I mean, because I, because it's home, right? Not because of anything else. Oh, okay. So fill yeah, us in yeah. on the dating life then, if you don't mind, because oh, I think God. last we talked I to you. I always dig myself You did. Home. You absolutely did. I wasn't going to ask, but hey, you brought it there. So we might I as know, well talk I about it for a second. Uh, my dating life is, I think right now, my, well, are you asking what my status would be? Um, yeah, but just give us kind of a top to bottom um, of what's going on in your life. I mean, not much. Literally not much, but my status, I would say, is single. Well, that's new from last time. That's changed quite a bit, hasn't well, it? Well, last time, this is what I was trying to get at. And the debate of being in a relationship, calling someone your boyfriend and versus dating someone. And Erica, I don't know if she's still in the studio, but that's what we were talking about um, last, the last couple of times I was in the studio. I was dating someone, so I had a, an interest in taking it a step further with a person it just unfortunately didn't get there so i'm um i'm just taking time to myself now and focusing on on other on other important things gotcha so i mean are you hoping that you find that person the special person in montreal do you want him to be a local canadian that's close to your family great I mean- question dean Thank i don't you. know i wouldn't say that i'm closing my options to someone being in Montreal, because I believe that um, just because you're born somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that the person that you're meant to be with or the person that you're going to fall in love with is in that area that you were born and raised in. So I don't know. I'm open to I'm open to dating, um, not only in Montreal, but in other places. But Dean, enough heat with me. What's going on with your love life? Oh, man, we definitely should be co-hosting this podcast together because my love life is about just as non-existent as yours. Um, I've been I've been re, re I guess, asserting myself back out into the dating scene here in Los Angeles, um, taking my time. I'm not really in any rush and been on a few dates and just kind of taking it slow. And question. Yeah, please. Who are these people like? Where are you finding these people you're going on dates with? 
That's an excellent question. Um, where am I finding these people I'm going on dates with? It's different now than it used to be. Yeah. I've I've stopped going out quite as much as I used okay. to. Like I used to go out twice a week with my friends to random like Friday and Saturday. And now I maybe go out once every other week at the max. Okay. Um, so I'm not finding them at like bars or anything like that that I would normally do. Um, mostly just like friends of friends. I'm not really. Like, I think on it's a, the best way. Yeah, I think so too. I'm not really like on any dating apps or anything like that. Um, not because I don't work, just because I think that that's. If I was serious enough about finding someone right now, then I would maybe be on one. But right now, I think it's just a lot of. Um, you know, as we've talked about before, like a lot of like self-work and uh, making sure that the therapy is going to be helpful and then like focusing on the things that I want to do and not necessarily have to drag someone into it right away. Um, but it's been it's been good. That's good. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I have I had any dinner dates? Most of the dates that I've been on have been very, very, very casual. Like um, daytime dates? Daytime dates. Um, mm. Even just like hanging out mutually, like among friends where there's like not really any pressure. Um, okay, so question. Do you feel, do you think, as a girl, if a guy's asking me out on a dinner date, I'm like, oh, okay, he's more than just, like, interested in a friendship. If he's asking me out on a day date, then I'm like, eh, I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to be seen with me at night or he doesn't want to commit to something, um, you know, where it's more romantic, where it's going to give me the idea that it's more of a romantic uh, date. Yeah, I mean, I think that my impression of it is, is like, let's see if we can hang out during the day. And if then if something is able to happen with that, then we can maybe hang out later at night. But I think you're right. I think that by inviting someone out to dinner or like a nighttime type date is a little bit more indicative of like a romantic relationship. Um, and that's not really where my focus is. Like, I like to have relationships with people like like friend wise, you know, guys, girls, whatever it is. And um, if we go to coffee, if I go to coffee with a girl and things, you know, are good and easy and flowing then i think the next step is a, is like a dinner date or drinks or something like that but um my personal like preference of the the evolution of dating is you know you hang out hang out a few times during the day maybe hang out in friend groups and then if you kind of sense some mutual interest in each other then kind of see if you guys can hang out at like dinner and all that kind of stuff but oh wait so you're saying introduce them to the friends before the dinner portion um, I really value my friends' opinions, and I think that it's important to know that the person that you're potentially going to be dating gets along with your friends, and like, the, obviously, there's like a, um, I don't know, a, a good vibe there. That's, I mean, that's my opinion, and it's not like I don't have like this big thing where it's like, oh, I can't introduce a girl that I'm dating to my friends because they're not ready for that or something like that, yeah. you know? But I don't know. I think I'm in a position where I was always, or I am, very like, oh my god, I like this person. I don't know how to date multiple people at the same time. So if I like a if I like someone, I'll be like, oh, we'll come over to my house and we'll have lunch and my mom might be home or uh, we'll go hang out here. And, like, you know, I know my friends are going to be around. And I, I introduce my friends and family, I think, a little bit too soon to the person that I'm dating. Mm. And then, like, a couple weeks later, I'm like, well, I don't know, like, it didn't work out or whatever ended up happening. And so I think now I'm at a point where the next person I introduce my friends and family to has to be someone that I know is either the real deal or close to being the real deal. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I would introduce anyone to my family anytime soon. But like I said, my friends are such an important, like I value their opinions so much to the point where I want them not necessarily to be as involved in my decision making as I am, but I want them to know that there's like a coexistence that kind of goes on. Like I'm splitting my time between my friends and my potential significant other. Um, But yeah, like I wouldn't bring someone that I've gone on a few dates with back to Colorado to meet my family or anything like that. Well, it's different, yeah. If I'm in Montreal, obviously, like, if I when I was in L.A., I wouldn't be like, hey, come to Montreal and visit my family after a third date. But if we're just casually in Montreal and it so happens that my dad's around or whatever, 
I'm not going to hide the person. I'll, I'll gladly introduce them. That's one know. of the benefits of not being close to your family is I don't have to wait for my family's approval on something. Benefits? Yeah. It's, well, I'm, I'm just trying to look on the bright side of things. <laughs> I, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a matter of family approval. Obviously, if they, I mean, I don't think you're going to date someone that's going to be detrimental to your mental and, uh, and emotional well-being. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, you can make that decision whether or not you want to take the relationship to the to the next step. For me, when I introduce when I introduce a significant other to my friends and family, I want to see how well they interact with them and if they could be part of my social my social circle. Not I don't think it comes down to approval. I think of course like you want your friends to be like, oh my God, like yeah, he was so cool or yeah, you guys make a cute couple or blah blah blah. You know, you want that kind of approval, but I don't think I've ever introduced anyone to my friends and family where they said like, what are you doing? Never, not even once. No. Hmm. No, what are you trying to get at? No. No, I'm just asking. I'm just thinking I'm just thinking for myself. If I had ever introduced someone that I was interested in to one of my friends, I'm sure it's happened where they would like look at me and be like, Why are you dating that person? Right I, off the bat? Maybe not right off the bat. Or like, later on. They always want what's best for you and so they'll always try and like see the bright side of it. But I maybe grow my friends a little too hard. Mostly my close friends. I have like three or four really, really close friends that I value and I'm like, okay. You are my, one of my best friends, and you're my best friend for a reason. It's because I admire a lot of the traits that I see within you and you see within yourself, etc. And so the way that you see this relationship from a third-party perspective could go a long way versus me seeing it being kind of like in this like googly-eyed, enthralled stage where it's I only see the things that I see when they can maybe see some something else. I don't know. That's, that's my perspective on it. Um, but anyways, long story short, I guess the, the whole point of that is, yeah, I've been going on some dates in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it feels weird to say that because it's been a long time since I've been doing that. Um, it's been a long time since you've been on a date or it's been a long time that you've been dating. It's been a long time since I've been on a normal date. Okay. Like before Rachel's season. Yeah. Because since Rachel's season, I didn't really go on any, I didn't go on any dates after Rachel's season before paradise Mm -hmm. because I had such a short amount of time and it was just like a weird whirlwind of a time to even be um, I guess dating and then after paradise I had a whole mess of things that I was dealing with so I certainly wasn't going on dates between paradise and winter games huh. and then winter games happened of course and I ended the show in a relationship with Leslie and Leslie and I went on dates as boyfriend and girlfriend but it wasn't okay, necessarily dating yeah it wasn't necessarily like dating dating as you're well aware so so this is my first experience kind of like dating again over the past huh. since a year and a half ago which is really weird it to is think fun, about right no it's it sucks <laughs> it's the worst it sucks? No, it's honestly not bad. I do enjoy getting to know people, but you know, like the formalities going through a date, like this is who I, I am, this is where I'm from, this is what I but do. But that's why, like, I, like in university, I studied um, uh, behaviors with like interpersonal behaviors with people, and like the first one or two dates are kind of like polite, whatever. I skip that, and if I can't talk about poop with you on the first date, no. then I know I'm not going out with you on the second date. Wait, you can't talk about poop on the first date, and you? I have to talk about poop on the wow. first date. Because it's like, I want to be able to get to like, because kind of the first date is, is um, I feel like it's a little bit of like an audition process and everyone is super polite and blah, 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 blah. And they're not really being the person that they are because they're putting up a front to be like, I want to make it to the second date, you know? And I'm like, listen, like, I'm not going to have any beans with you tonight because I'm probably going to fart on my way out of here. And if he can't take, if he takes that too seriously, then I know I'm not going on a date with him. Did you, time. did you talk to Poop? Talk to Nick about poop on your first one-on-one with him? Did I talk to Nick about my first... Oh, shoot. You know, this is... 
I think it's going to be two years, right, in September? So I have a horrible memory. My Didn't you throw up? What? Didn't you throw up on your first one-on-one? I did throw up on my first one-on-one, and he still kissed me, and I was like, that's a winner. I will say of all the dates that I've uh, watched on Bachelor, the one and only date that I'm jealous of, maybe just the most jealous of, is that zero-gravity date that you went on. Yeah, and I, I mean, I heard that they were trying to get that zero-gravity experience for years, and I'd, I, I, it, it ended up happening that we got it on my season, and I'm so lucky that I got chosen for that date. Um, cause first of all, it's like thousands of dollars to pay for something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean like, and I have that all on camera, so it's, it's cool that I, oh my I God. got to experience that and I have it for, for life and I can show my kids one day. And- it's awesome. When we were filming bachelor winter games, I remember I was sitting down with Bennett, who's one of the executive producers. And I think it was just after one of Leslie's and mine dates and I was like, that day was cool, but do you remember that zero gravity day that Nick and Vanessa had? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I, was, I like asked him how much it cost, and it was like some absurd amount of money because it's always been a dream of mine to be able to experience zero gravity, and I don't think I'll ever be able to, and so I'm very envious of you for being able to do that. Um, Unless you get sponsored. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the name of the airline company? Maybe they can uh, give me a swipe up code and we can put, put us in there. Um, <laughs> I, don't think it was an, I don't know if it was an airline or if it was uh, uh, NASA. Like the actual like the company. Right. No. Uh, so, Vanessa, before we move on to the next spot with Dr. Wendy Walsh, there's some big news that kind of came out of yes, Bachelor we, Nation. Yeah. And, and, and some big news that came out of someone that's very near and dear to both of our hearts, mm-hmm. the one and only Jared Highbon. Um, do you mind filling the listeners in a little bit on what happened? Well, uh, I don't know how much we can tell. Oh, tell it all. We can spill the well, beans. I think it's all out there. Check. Okay. Well, last week we were actually talking about when is it the right time to propose and what did Jared do? Got, he proposed to Ashley. Got down on bended knee. That is crazy. I did not know that was going to happen. I was never clued in on it. I don't think you were either. I think you kind of had an idea, though. Here's the thing. He was talking about it, and he was acting so coy with all of his answers. He was like, well, I don't know. I think it should be this amount of time. Well, no, actually, I think it should. And then I was like, you, something, you're up to something over here, buddy. And I know it's easy to say that in hindsight, but I I just had an inkling of it. I guess you had a feeling. I had no idea. I messaged him like, oh, my God, congratulations. I had no idea. Why didn't you tell any of us? And he's like, I wanted to keep it a secret to make sure Ashley was completely surprised. And it looks like she was. And they're already calling each other fiancé and living it up on Instagram. So it's, it's everywhere. It's not a secret. Ashley and Jared are engaged. And I guess this is like proof that, you know, you could fall in love with your best friend and, and years down the line get engaged to them and hopefully live a happily ever after. So, and obviously we're, we're over the moon ecstatic for them. I think that uh, Super happy. anyone that knows both Ashley or Jared knows how smitten they've been over the past few months of their relationship. Um, do you think that it's too soon for them to be engaged or do you think that everything is as it should be? I mean, oh, you're asking me directly. Listen, I, like I said last week, I got engaged after a couple of months uh, knowing Nick and they spent more than I think a lot of couples end up spending time with each other. They've known each other for years. They've been friends. So they've already, I think it's important to fall in love with someone and be with someone who ultimately is your best friend. And they have such a concrete and solid foundation in order to have that. So I think, no, I don't think it was too soon. Um, and plus, like we were talking about last week, you can be engaged for like a year or two years. I think it's just like an extra level of commitment to show that this is the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So I'm happy for them. I think um, I think I had a, I had a 
feeling it was going to happen sooner than later. I didn't think it was going to happen this soon. You look at you look back to Jared's first Instagram caption of when they announced their relationship, and he said, "Once you realize you want the rest of your life to be with someone else, you want your the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible." Something along those lines. I'm mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. It's, it always seemed like the way that they talked about their relationship is that it was always the final relationship of their lives, and I think what's great, and and people have asked me about this kind of a lot lately, just because obviously I'm close. To, both of us are close to Ashley and Jared. They were like, "Well, why do they go to?" Uh, presumably to paradise to film the proposal and it's like well you look at ashley's life for the past three years and you know she's made a career out of the bachelor and she's so close with everyone the producers the cast members all that kind of stuff that this is like the perfect way for her to end her bachelor experience is to get the man that she's been so in love with um to propose to her on television with a neil lane ring and then like you know hopefully eventually have a televised wedding like it literally i'm sure again i haven't talked directly with ashley since the proposal but i can only imagine how over the moon ecstatic she is about everything and um i'm just i'm so incredibly happy for them i'm so happy and i don't think any of us really saw this coming from like the the day she started the franchise to doing paradise and you know i don't think none of us saw this happy ending coming for the both of them but I mean, they're such great people, and every time Jared talks about Ashley, he's just like, he's so in love. It's the cutest thing ever, and I remember him telling me once um, he was leaving or going, he was with Ashley, and I think she was in his hometown, and she left, and his parents looked at him, and he's like, they're like, you're never going to find another Ashley. And I, I, th- I think the families also knew that this was it for the both of them. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has gotten to the point where, I mean, I hang out with Jared often, you know, with this podcast we have uh, once a week. Uh, we obviously make our silly little recap videos once a week as well. In addition, maybe once every week we'll we'll see each other randomly. And so it's kind of gotten to the point of nauseating where he's so in love with Ashley. I love it and, No, and of course, and I'm so happy for him. And it's just, you know, he he's fully, fully in love with her. And I think that this was definitely the next and appropriate step for them, too. I, I think that this was the best way for them to have gone about it. Yeah. And I'm excited for him to be back in the studio next I week. know. I can't wait to hear how it happened, what went through his head. For me, the most romantic part of an engagement or proposal is the thought process behind it. Like, when did he think about it? How did he, like, want to do it? And you know, what was going on in his mind, that's what I want to know, because that's what I find so romantic. I'm so excited. I, right, exactly. I'm so excited for us to be able to ask him those types of questions, and hopefully he's unfiltered and honest with us. I'm sure he will be. I don't really see any reason for him to hide anything, but right. um, that's going to be all the juicy info that we're looking for. We love you, Jasley. Um, is that their nickname, Jasley? Um, hey, yeah. Vanessa, do you want to do a FabFitFun spot for our listeners and tell them how great it is? <gasps> okay. So my favorite time of the year is when my doorbell rings and there's a FabFitFun box at my door. It feels like Christmas. It comes four times a, de- four times a year. So the FabFitFun Summer Editor's Box is now available. It delivers a box full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products. It's delivered four times a year, and it's just $49.99 a box. And for the Summer Editor's Box, it, it includes Yumi Kim train case in periwinkle or navy. There's mineral hand cream which is my, I actually have this one, it's my all-time favorite. I brought it home um, when I came back from L.A., and my mom had it because it's, um, it's, from, it's from the Dead Sea, and she actually bought it from the country. She's like, what do you do with my hand cream? I'm like, no, I got this from the, from the Fat Fit Fun Box. And it's actually 30 or $40, I don't remember. Um, and then there's a sponge gel, papaya, yuzu box, flower body wash, infused butter. And then you can get one from each of the following sets. So you can get the Foreo Luna Fofo or the Trina Turk Turkish towel. I actually have the Foria Luna, and 
that's a facial cleansing brush, and that's originally $89. And if you just get the box alone from FabFitFun, it's $49.99. There's a Courage Shower Gel, uh, Dr. Brand Pores um, No More Luminizer Primer. There's the understated leather. This I love. I usually actually use this when I go to bed or when I have migraines. The understated leather by Free People. It's a Starry Eye Travel Eye Mask in mint, and I have it in mink, mint and pink. And there's the Wish Rice Milk Rose Cream Cleanser, which I absolutely adore. So if you sign up now on FabFitFun.com using code DEAN, you get $10 off your first box. Go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start, start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code DEAN, D-E-A-N, to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use code D-E-A-N. That's DEAN, D-E-A-N, to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. Heck yeah, Vanessa. That was awesome. Yeah, was it? I might just go I buy a FabFitFun box right now. That's with my FabFitFun boxes. Well done. Well done. Hey, well, while you were reading that uh, FabFitFun spot, uh, Wendy Walsh joined us in the studio. Hi, hi, Wendy. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. So just for the listeners out there, um, Wendy, do you mind telling them a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I am obsessed with the science of oh, human mating. Yeah. Uh, you can hear my show on KFI AM 640 every Sunday from 4 to 6, all about relationships. And uh, I write books about relationships. I teach at Cal State Channel Islands, partly about relationships. And I, there's a real science to it. Did you know you that, Dean? fabulous, and you're okay. also fabulous because you're Canadian. How did you right? know? Yes, I'm both. <laughs> I did my research. I'm a dually. I pull out whatever passport's convenient. The half Who's asking? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, welcome to our episode. Um, so you said that you wrote three books. Yes. Um, what were the, what are the three books? The on? first one is the boyfriend test. Uh-oh. Basically, is that for women to read? It's or for, for they're all for women to read. Do you think men okay. buy relationship books? <laughs> I've read a couple of relationship know. books. All we do, relationship books. All we do is highlight the books and show them to them. Um, <laughs> then exactly. the the girlfriend test, where I interviewed a hundred married men and asked them why'd you marry her and why didn't you call the rest of us back. Uh, and I learned some very interesting things from talking to those men. And then the third one is the recent one, and it's all about important social science. It's called The 30-Day Love Detox, hmm. How to Find Love in a High-Supply Sexual Economy. Huh. I need to get that one. Yeah. How to Find Love in High-Supply in a Sexual Economy. Yeah, so when something, you know, basic economics is that when something is in high supply, the price goes down, right? right? When it's low supply, the price goes up. Right. So in 1950, the price of sex, sex was in low supply, uh, was six months of courtship and a wedding. Okay. Uh, in the 80s, the price of sex was three dates. Anybody remember the three date rule? Am I the only one old enough to remember that? Okay. And then today, the price of sex has dropped to the barrel bottom price of one well-worded text. So because supply is so high, demand... Uh, right, so demand is, is so low, low, the price is low. Right. So what the book is about is how to change it, because even when there's a, let's say, let's use the example of tomatoes. If there's a bumper crop of tomatoes one season and the price do- drops to one cent a head, there's still a market for an organic artisanal grown special heirloom <laughs> tomato that sells for $2 a head. So it's about how to make yourself that tomato. Okay. I just love that using tomatoes as an analogy. Well, it's <laughs> so about, now I get it. It's also important to find someone that's willing to spend that extra money for that tomato versus the right. one cent tomato. Well, that's the whole game. It's not about, I always say it's not about finding the one. It's about eliminating all the other ones. Oh. It's so like that needle that? in the haystack, haystack. Well, what happens is that women go on dates and they're so busy trying to sell themselves that they forget that sperm chases egg, <laughs> not the reverse. Oh. And so what they need to do is sit back and take applications and interview better. 
and they have to be confident enough to go, nope, nope, nope. Because guess what the biggest aphrodisiac is in the whole world? Scarcity. The word no. Oh. Yeah, that's what, that's what <laughs> scarcity is. Scarcity, the word no, obstacles. Yeah. But we also need to eliminate. So two different conversations, one about sexual consent and one about saying no for real. Because it sends a message out to the whole universe. Even the good guys are out there going, wait a minute, she's hard to get. Right. I'm interested. And we're the same. Women also want something that's a little hard to get. Right. We don't want mm-hmm. anything easy. It's that saying that uh, if everyone can have it, I don't want it. Exactly. Because yeah. right? self-confidence think, is sexy. Absolutely. I think what ends up happening is once the chase is gone in any relationship, right? I think it's like the two-year mark or something. Like once the chase is gone, you kind of start reevaluating where your relationship is going. So how do you keep something alive? Let's say you are in a healthy relationship and you're, you know, you want to marry this person or you are married and you've been with someone for years. How do you keep that love alive or that spark alive? Well, plenty of people forget to fall in love and they just go with the lust part. And so what happens is when you have a new sexual partner, your brain gets assaulted with a cocktail of neurotransmitters and hormones, oxytocin, dopamine, norepinephrine. It's very exciting. It's a great cocktail. But after a while, your brain gets used to that same old cocktail after a while, and it becomes less exciting for your brain. But during that time of lust, if you spent the time developing the real glue of long-term relationships, which is emotional intimacy... Then when the lust goes down, you can have a conversation now. What can we do to spark it up, baby? Because we're not going anywhere. We love each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But many people forget to fall in love. And then when the hormones die down, they're like, oh, what am I doing? I don't even, I'm not in love with this person anymore. Or maybe they just have a hard time distinguishing between love and lust. Right. And or- at the beginning, it's hard because it does start. I mean, passion grows faster than intimacy because think of it this way. Could you imagine if you had to open up your entire body and bloodstream to a man at the same time, open up your heart and mind and feelings and be tender? It would be way too much for you to tolerate. So we choose one or the other and we tend to choose our bodies first. Mm -hmm. And then slowly we open the door to our hearts. So how do you know when you are truly in love with someone and it's not just the passion and the lust and and the excitement? This is an excellent question because there are many different kinds of love. And there are many different definitions of love. One of the areas I'm really obsessed with is an area of psychology called attachment theory, where we all in the first two, three years of life form a kind of blueprint for love. Then we head out into our adult romantic life and unconsciously look for people who will match our definition of love. Now, that love could have been filled with pain, longing, abuse. Uh, It could have been filled with joy and happiness and security. But we'll go out and find that same person who will match our needs, my fingers are making quotation marks, (laughs) our needs, and we'll call that love. So there are plenty of people who are in love, but they're actually in a lot of pain because they're living out an attachment uh, injury, really. Hmm. I think that applies to me. I would say if we're going to look at the percentage of people who have a secure attachment style in America right now. Small. 20, 30%. It's more than I expected, honestly. Yeah. I I think that kind of boils back down to the uh, culture that we see through with like marriage and the divorce rate and kind of everything that's been happening over the past decade or so, right? Do you think that's kind of where it stems from? No, I think it it stems from originally mobility. That, Mm -hmm. In other words, to create modern American capitalism, you needed a workforce who could move around and be where the jobs are. Mm -hmm. So we tore people away from families of origin where we used to have multi-generational families caring for young ones. So there were lots of multiple attachment figures. Um, 
<clears throat> I'm a feminist. I'm a hardcore feminist. But uh, when you take mommies away from babies in the first year, um, then it's very hard on a baby's attachment uh, organization. And, um, and, and when you talk about marriage, Dean, I want to remind you that when till death do us part was invented, death was pretty imminent. In other mm-hmm. words, even the most monogamous of humans and anthropologists, just suggest there are about 50% of us that are monogamous, will have two or three or four stints of long-term monogamy across a lifespan. Hmm. This idea that we are meant to meet someone young in life and stay until death do us part, we didn't live to 80 years old. Uh If you got married in 1900 and said, I swear till death do us part, do you know how long that marriage was on average? 30 years. 12. 12 years. 12. Oh, wow. People died of diseases. They died in wars. They died out in the fields. They died in fights. Huh. If you got married in 1990 and you swore till death do us part, do you know what the average length of your marriage was? 30 years. 12. (laughs) But now they don't die. They divorce. That's the only difference. Nothing's changed. Why? We need to reframe this idea of failed relationships. A relationship is over when both partners have finished growing Uh because a relationship is a gymnasium for our minds. It's where we grow and learn about ourselves and learn about other people. So how do we combat that even if we do want to combat that? Is it something that's worth fighting fighting for or is it worth something that's once you are done growing, it's ready to change pots and move on to something else? No, because That's a great question, too. I mean, there may be a new lesson that the two of you need to learn together, mm-hmm. like how to make sex hot when it's not after a while. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the lesson is, you know what? Now is about commitment because we have a little angel in our nest and we got to keep that baby's life happy. It's not about us anymore, Mm -hmm. right? There are all kinds of reasons why people will still continue to learn and grow and stay in relationships. I think what it comes down to for me is finding someone that has that same level of commitment and is not going to run away when or look elsewhere when, when, when things are getting tough in the relationship. And I don't know if that boils down to trust. I don't know if that boils down to, um, you know, just what our society is made of right now. Um, but I feel like that it's hard for me to be able to trust that someone is going to be as committed as, let's say, my grandparents are and have been. You well, know, they, they had a lot of social pressure to commit that we don't have right. now. So let me, right. let me tell you, Vanessa, you're up against two things. One is, simply put, women have a fertility window that creates, creates a sense of urgency for commitment that men simply don't have. You know, Absolutely. a dude can be 45 and find mm-hmm. a very fertile 28-year-old woman when he's ready Woo. to have a family, right? So this is one of the things is that women have a much harder time trying. That's why it's so important that women know their relationship game plan, figure out where the boundary is on their fertility window, and stop thinking about freezing your damn eggs. Just get the commitment-oriented guy. The game shouldn't be about getting one guy to commit it should be about finding a guy at his state of readiness Mm -hmm. and there are lots of indicators that show somebody's state of readiness uh for instance what's his social circle doing are he is he still running off on single guy weekends to vegas or all his buddies starting to get married does are there any babies in the bunch has someone become a father uh what are his siblings doing is he the last man standing and the siblings have all been to weddings uh what happened with his family of origin Whereas did his parents have multiple marriages or one long one? So that you know that's the model inside his head. Um, is there any religion involved? Every religion in the vo- world preaches family, right? So if there's religion involved, that's another good indicator. And, you know, this is hard for me to say because we don't like to get into politics. But I will say 
the people who lean a little right are more marriage-oriented. Hmm. That's just the way it is. That's the culture of it. right? I, before we go any further, I just want to ask you to assess me really quick, given those five uh, viewpoints. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you. We're going to go one by one. Is that okay? Yeah. Yep. We talk social. Or can we do me too? Of course. Of course. Well, I think okay, okay. it kind of more so applies to men that are willing. Or... We're looking for state of readiness. No, but there are plenty of women who are playing player girl life a little too long and pushing the edge of the envelope in their fertility window. Okay. Well, well, so... Maybe that's also the life that they chose. You know, that maybe that's what they want to do. Maybe they don't want to have a family. And that's well, fine. Well, I do want to say this, that since the, since the dawn of time, 20% of women do not become mothers. And anthropologists speculate that is one reason why we are so damn intelligent, because they ha- there were multiple caregivers for kids. So it is those child-free sisters and aunties and cousins and nannies mm-hmm. who help raise children that help grow their brains. So there's Wendy, nothing. I love your insight. Thank you. Very profound. I tell you, it's a science. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Dean, let's see if you're at your state of readiness. First of all, <laughs> before we go do your little test, would you say, how old are you now? 27. Do you think you're at, by the way, the average age of first time marriage for men in America is 27. Oh, wow. Just to say. Oh, wow. Okay. So do you think you're at a state of readiness? You know, you were, you were listing off those things that you say are kind of the, the, I don't want to say ranking system for state of readiness. And every time you said a new one, I was kind of like, oh, uh, I, I, it's weird because I've always thought that I was ready. I've always thought that no matter what stage of life I was in, if the right person came along, I would make myself ready and like be ready for that. But let's talk about it. So number one, social circle. So all of my friends, I would say 20% of them are in serious relationships. None of them are married. None of them have kids. Right, you 80, haven't been going to weddings. I've been to one wedding in my entire life. Wow. And I went what? last summer. And was, it was that the last one that, that I went to with, that you were there? Oh, that's right. So Tiffany, so maybe I've gone to two weddings. Okay. Um, I need to interject a little wedding thing for you that you guys will find interesting. Please. So you go to a lot of weddings in your 20s and early 30s. I mean, honestly, but two summers from now, your whole summer calendar is going to be travel weddings. You'll <laughs> see. Um, and then it stops for a while because the two times in our life where we really need a relationship and what is a relationship? It is an exchange of care. And that care can take many forms. It can be financial care, domestic responsibility care, child care, physical care when someone's sick, emotional care for their needs, sexual care, right? And the other time we need it is when we start to age and we have start to begin to have health issues and we need that care again. And so I have to tell you, last summer I went to five weddings. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everybody's doing it again in their 50s. It's so funny. It's all cyclical. <laughs> it all comes back around. Okay. So no one's, so we don't have enough. Majority of great friends are up. mid to late 20s, acting early 20s. Yeah. So they're still doing the bars every weekend, Ladies, all that kind of stuff. Dean might not be your man. Well, just let's, that's just the tip of the iceberg here, Dr. Walsh. <laughs> so number two, you said was siblings. I have a sister who's married. I've never met her husband. I have a brother who's in a serious What's relationship. What's up with that? I don't, hey. I love my siblings to death. I would kill for them. I would be killed for them. But you wouldn't go to their wedding. (laughs) But but we're just not close. We don't talk every single day. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm very, very close with both of my brothers. But it's like, you know, we're brothers. We're stubborn. We don't necessarily talk all the time. So that kind of thing. Um, So one of them is in a relationship of five years. The other one is very, very single. Do you know their partner i know my the, brother the i know my brother's girlfriend yes and yeah. we're we're friends as well okay um so not the best uh set set up there i'm gonna go 50 50 on that yeah we'll okay. go, and that's generous too i think number three you said was family um so family history of marriage so my parents had a very rocky marriage my mother passed away when i was 15 mm-hmm. but before she passed she and my father did not have the best relationship um they constantly fought there was 
I don't know, a lot of arguments, all that kind of stuff. So not necessarily the best blueprint to future success for relationships that way. And this big elephant in the living room, this trauma and sense of loss as an adolescent. Which I never really thought took a toll on me until recently, mm-hmm. as I'm starting to realize through, I don't know, ulterior means of like mm-hmm. therapy and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but it's getting better. But yes, never something I thought of. So so not necessarily the best picture of family. Mm-hmm. Um, next, you said was religion. And although I grew up Presbyterian, growing to Sunday, going to Sunday school up until I was about 13 every Sunday, um, I no longer practice religion. I no longer uh, have any strong feelings one way or the other mm-hmm. that are in regards to religion. So that's kind of... But in a, your formative years, there uh, was this mes- there was a messaging that family and marriage was something... Important. Important. Yeah. But you know, when you're young and you go to church, it's kind of more of like a chore than it is something that you're interested in getting to know. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I would say that that's kind of a miss as well, just because it's just not something that's really of interest to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I do, you know, respect everyone's religion. I went on actually a humanitarian trip with Ben Higgins, who's a Catholic down to Honduras and helped him with some stuff down there. So it's interesting to me, but it's not necessarily important to me. Um, And then number five, you said was politics. You said the further skewing right you are, the more marriage material you seem to be. Or the more likely you believe in the institution of marriage. So I'm about as far left as you could possibly get. Exactly. (laughs) You want to hear some funny statistics? I call it red sex, blue sex. So here's what's interesting is that red sex, still call it premarital sex. So sex is always related to marriage in some way. So as a result, since they need marriage, people on the red side, more conservative political views, tend to get married earlier. And the statistics show the magic number is age 23. If you get married below age 23, we're talking about the highest divorce rate possible. Hmm. It's up in the 90%, right? Because your brain, your prefrontal cortex is not even developed till you're 25. So um, now what happens with blue sex is people leaning on the left, those people um, do not associate marriage and sex. They don't even call it premarital sex. They just call it sex. Mm -hmm. So they have sex for sex sake, and they tend to marry later in life. Interesting enough, people who have conservative political views and really believe in marriage and the sanctity of marriage, but they marry really young, end up having more divorces Hmm. in the long run. So people who are more conservative divorce more. People who are more liberal divorce less, but that's only because they married later and they just don't have as many years to have all this divorce. Makes sense. Fascinating, oh, huh? Yeah, I wonder why that. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of understand why that is, but, um, but yeah. So that's that's kind of my. Uh, so can I ask you a question? Marriage readiness chart. So what is your relationship life plan? What do you want to do by what age? Well, see, that's the thing that I've kind of stopped doing. I think as kids, what we had a tendency to do was, when you're 14, you're gonna be like, I'm married by 24. I'm gonna have kids by 26, and so on and so forth. And what I've kind of stopped doing is setting timelines for myself because all it's done for me up until this point is kind of let me. Uh, set me up for a disappointment you know mm. if i was supposed to be Wait, married, what was your timeline before i wanted to be married at 24 i wanted to have kids oh, at 26 oh. etc et that's, that's also i think where you grew up in the city where you grew up people were, would tend to get married at that age right right, right. well yeah. and it's what's funny too is i talked to my brother about this too because like i said he's been in a five-year relationship and he's like i started dating my girlfriend at 30 i didn't really take the relationship at seriously until i was 32 and ever since i was 32 and started taking it seriously things have been incredible and so now i'm kind of looking at it where it's like okay like I made a lot of mistakes in my life and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And I want to be at that point, but maybe it's not until I'm 32 when things, something's really going to click for me and be like, all right, like Dean, get this together and figure it out, you know? So when you say something clicks, you don't mean finding the right person. You mean something clicks inside your head that you're ready to which is Which is the um, antithesis of what I was saying before, where it's like, I always wanted it to be that person that that I connect with, that I then bond with and becomes my partner for the rest of my life. But I also see the appeal of it being a timeline where it's once you become this age and you be your body and your mind become ready for it, then that's kind of when it happens for you. Because the thing is, 
sex is something that clicks when you meet somebody you're attracted to. Commitment is actually your intellectual brain making a choice. And uh, Vanessa, earlier you asked about something else when you were asking about commitment and you said people who I think are still looking around or something or who will make that commitment. We also live in a time where we have so much romantic opportunity. Remember, in our hunter-gatherer past, we roamed in encampments of mostly people who are related to us, of 30 people, say. Mm -hmm. And across our entire lifespan, we never laid eyes on more than 150 people. Right. And so when a new hunter or huntress came in from another tribe, we got excited. Their pheromones smelled different. They didn't smell like our brother. It was all very exciting, right? And so we are wired to sit up and take notice when somebody's not related to us. Well, now a new partner, thousands and thousands of new partners are a thumb swipe away. Right. And so just like going to a buffet in Vegas, whoever has one entree <laughs> at a buffet in Vegas, in the same way, we have to use our intellectual mind, not the calls of our body, to have a healthy relationship. Hmm. We have to say, no, this is a choice and I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to, you know, go off Tinder. I'm not going to do private messages on Facebook with anybody who, you know, if I wouldn't want my partner to read those messages. And you just, you make that decision just like stopping fast food. You also have an unsatiable craving for salt, sugar, and fat because mm -hmm. these were trace nutrients in our anthropological past and every food company knows. But you don't go to McDonald's every day, Dean. I can tell, right? I You've wish I could. you made a choice, right? <laughs> you've made a choice to eat well. Well, you live near Whole Foods. It makes it easier. Um, <laughs> but you make, you make a choice to eat well. And the same thing, you make a choice to not have fast food sex. I like that. That's actually your interesting perspective. Yeah. We need to have Dr. Walsh on all the time. <laughs> I'm like amazed, amazed right now. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about this my own relationship. <laughs> all right, so let's let's transition the topic then to something more topical and current. So sure. you you said earlier on that you are familiar with Jay-Z and Beyonce, right? How do you yes, think... Yes, they're all back together now. Yeah. Being rich and showing the world. Well, and they're working together. And so that beckons the question, what is your take on working with a significant other in any capacity? It's really, really, really difficult because you have to create boundaries somewhere when you're running your personal lives together your business lives together you sleep in the same bed you can run the risk of having too much fusion and um what i say is there are two kinds of relationships that i think get a little unhealthy one is fusion where nobody can remember whose problem is whose mm -hmm. and the other is too independent where they just are too polite like nice roommates just living in the public areas of our brains right, right. you want to has something in between where you lean on each shoulders from time to time. You have interdependence, shall we say, but you also have some degree of autonomy. So the challenge for Jay-Z and Beyonce is to find their pieces of, of um, individual autonomy. And I think, you know, she has girlfriends. She goes on trips without them and or without him sometimes. And their travel, their work, the nature of their work in the past was that they were touring separately. So that created the difference. But now they're all in. Well, so do you think that it would be necessary or even appropriate for them to share their personal lives about each other in the songs that they create together? Like there are these rumors that Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. Do you think it'd yeah. be inappropriate for Beyonce to then make a song with Jay-Z about Jay-Z cheating on Beyonce? I think she did, didn't she? Did yeah. She? Isn't it called Lemonade? Other, like, <laughs> oh, you're right. Okay. I don't so know. What, That's a whole other ball game. Like, yeah, obviously they're still together. It was like smart on their end for their finances because they made a killing off of that right but no but I they're think, also raising kids to say they're just an arrangement i don't think is true because they're living no no no, no. that's not what i'm saying i'm saying it was it, it, they banked on that instead of keeping that private between themselves 
they decided they to share that, it for they made the, that something public and they made money off of it. Well, they're also artists, and no artist makes art out of something that is not inside them, that doesn't exist already. True. Whether you're reading novels or looking at visual art or listening to music, it's a piece of that human. Art is just communication. It's just another way of communicating. And so they're communicating their pain and whatever, and they, they happen to be the type of personalities who can tolerate living their pain publicly. And I think they've both done a great job at it. And I hope they do stay together at least until the kids are grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about Beyonce and Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a question about Selena Gomez. Uh-huh. And apparently Selena Gomez's mom uh, did an interview with People Magazine, and she was saying what kind of person she believes her daughter should be dating. Mm-hmm. Do you Don't think- you love those mothers? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, like, my mom probably has her idea of what kind of guy I should be dating. Do you think that when it comes to dating, we should be listening to our parents or mom or dad's advice when it comes to our love life? Well, and to what extent and what capacity kind of I mean, you can listen, but at the end of the day, it's going to be your own blueprint for love and your own attachment style. You know, when two people meet within the first 30 seconds, they do an unconscious handshake that says, hey, dude, you going to treat me like my abandoning dad or whatever? Yeah, you going to treat me like my mom was really critical? Great. Cool. Hey, and what movies do you like to go see? Right? And then you go right into the date. But they've already done the unconscious deal. They know if that person will fit in with their picture of their perfect nightmare love or their perfect happy love. So what moms do is moms, of course, want their kids to uh, be healthy and happy. So they look at the surfacey stuff. What school did he go to? What kind of, uh, you know, job does he have? You need to date a doctor, right? That's what moms will say. But that moms could never predict what goes on in the unconscious handshake. So good luck, mom. I mean, I spend all day long telling my daughter who she should date. And she just says she wants to date Dean. So. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. There you go. And you tell her, no, honey, do not make that dis- mistake for your own good. Did you assess that Dean was ready for marriage? Because I, I got cut off. No, but, but she's not. She's only 20. She's only 20. So she is nowhere near. She's just... Oh. Well, so, so let me ask but you this. But she does go to Harvard, Dean. Uh, hey. So, so there might be money in your future. Significantly you out. out of my league then in that case. <laughs> so before before you got here, Dr. Walsh, mm-hmm. Eric and I were talking about this new TV show, The Proposal, and about how oh, yeah. these people are getting engaged to each other after only an hour of knowing each other, <laughs> which seems insane. But like you just said, you make an unconscious handshake with someone after yep. the first 30 seconds of knowing them. So do you think that's an, a, enough time to even make a calculated enough decision? In that show, who fixes them up? It's just 10 random women in this, at least in last night's episode, like it was 10, 10 random women lined up in pageant uh, format and then one man hidden behind a wall. And then he asks them questions, eliminates them as time goes. And at the very end, there's two of them left. He, they both kind of deliver a speech to him and then he makes his decision on who he wants to propose to. So he picks. He picks yeah. at the end. But okay. the women don't see him until that very end yes. part. Right. So already everything's backwards because human nature is such. That's why I think The Bachelor is hysterical because The Bachelorette is more true to life. The, is wom- that women the woman do picks. The cho- yeah, women choose. Sure. Okay, let me just say this. Dean, women don't believe this and I, please back me up. Women control the sexual pace of a relationship, don't they? Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. 100%. As they should. Right? And women control whether a guy gets access to them, right? 
Yes. Yes. And so why do we set up these shows where there's like one dude with this whole, because it's a fantasy for guys. But here's the. That every woman wants him and he's going to decide which one for him. But the women can still have that decision. Like if, if it's The Bachelor and there's 30 girls pining for one guy, when there's those three girls that then have the overnight fantasy suite with the one guy, they still have the opportunity to, to decline him access to their. Uh, On national television, has anyone ever said no? I'm sure at some point. Do some research. I think a super fan Erica to the rescue. There's been bachelors who said, like Sean Lowe, I think said, "I will not spend the night." No, no, but we're talking about the flip because right, but I don't think except for Bachelorette Emily Maynard didn't stay the night with guys, but she was a Bachelorette, so she was choosing. Right, she was choosing. Yeah, so anyway, so proposal. So here we have this. So I will say this: there was a kind of unconscious handshake going on with the questioning. However, she doesn't really get a choice. It's his choice. Which is not very feminist. She could have the choice of saying no, no to the proposal. She, yeah, she can say yes or no at the end because there's mm. two remaining women, so he gets to decide. He gets to, he doesn't get the women don't get to see him. The two remaining women get to see him, and then he gets to choose the one of the two. And also, women aren't that visually wired anyway. You know, I mean, you you, you can see a guy who may be smaller stature, may have need to lose a little weight, may be a little balding, his skin is not great, but you see his house, you see his jet, and all of a sudden he's tall, gorgeous, handsome, right? (laughs) When women are looking for mates, they tend to look for resources first, intelligence second, and kindness behind that. But I think what it comes down to, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, because I was talking about this with a friend of mine, women have the opportunity to have a baby one at a time. Like, you can have a baby right. one, like, Once every nine months. They can have one every day. Right. But a guy can go and spread their seeds everywhere. So women are more like, okay, if I want to have a baby, I want to have a baby with this guy who has this, 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 and that, so that my child can also have, you know, X, Y, and Z. We're saying the same thing. She's going to go for resources. So okay. we kind of have more room for error as a guy is what you're saying. Well, there are two mating strategies that men tend to use. One is... And which makes a lot of sense in today's environment is they invest in one woman and two kids and try to make their genes survive in this environment, get their kids well educated into a good college, help them through life, teach them morals, etc. Then there's another mating strategy where they just spread their seed and hope for the best, meaning that they hope that they've uh, impregnated a good mother and uh, <laughs> There's no moral judgment here, folks. It's just science. Uh, and so uh, at different times of a man's life, he might use one mating strategy or another. And also, it's not just about men. Women also have short-term relationships and long-term relationships. And when they meet people, they know in their mind, and Vanessa, I know this has happened to you. You meet a dude, and he's really kind of boyfriend material. He's at a straight of, a state of marriage or readiness. He's, like, ready to help you out and fix your car for you and fix your stereo and come around and be that really nice guy. And so and so you will give him a courtesy f- but you know he is not going to be your long-term relationship. Uh, Women do that all the time. I mean, I, I don't know how to just have a courtesy f- <laughs> I... If I if I'm gonna sleep with someone, it's because I can see a future with them. Oh, good for you! But in yeah, the words I of Doctor Wendy Walsh, you should just be giving out courtesy f- just for the well, hell of it. Well, depends how much stuff you need done around the house. Really, that's <laughs> truly depends the if you don't want to take your car to the mechanic or <laughs> no, not. Uh, look, but uh, doesn't that kind of detract from the whole idea of feminism in a sense? 
No, that's very feminist. Is Are you it? kidding? Because we're such kind, giving, loving people, and we feel so bad for the dude because he's working so hard for us. The least we can do is give him a. Is there? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, this is amazing. You think I was born oh, yesterday? Is there is there a gender reversal in that at all? Can a can a man sleep yeah, with a woman because he feels bad for her? Yeah, men do it all the time. Well, men tend to want sex more than women. Sex is a much higher risk hobby for women than men. Uh, men are less likely to contract an STD. Hmm. Um, they're less likely to fall in love because their bodies don't emit oxytocin in big amounts during orgasm like they do for women. And they're less likely to contract an 18-year case of parenthood. <laughs> so uh, as a result, sex is a pretty risky hobby for women. Interesting. Well, this conversation has been incredible. I'm just writing in my notes right now. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Wendy Walsh, I, I really want to have you in the studio every single week because oh, yeah. this has been Anytime, phenomenal. Anytime, I'm always here. But I, So I just want to remind people, you can always catch me on KFI AM 640. Um, the, all my shows are put up on the iHeartRadio podcast, so you just search keyword Dr. Wendy. And uh, I just, there's uh, just, you know, when I was in, I went to back to graduate school in midlife. I had been a news anchor here in Los Angeles. And let me tell you, I used to go off air, hair and makeup ready at 10 p.m. So I was on the list of every club and I've lived it as well. But um, I went back, when I settled down to nurse my babies in my 30s, I went back to graduate school. And every time I would take a class, I'd be like, everybody should know this. They shouldn't save this just for therapists charging $150 an hour. <laughs> so I made it my mission to disseminate a PhD in clinical psychology into words that everybody can understand mm-hmm. and send it out to mass media. I'm going to read all three of your books. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I have a new hobby and it's you. So <laughs> it's figuring so this sweet. out. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Um, all right. So, yeah. So for all the listeners out there, like Dr. Wendy said, be sure to check her out on the iHeartRadio app. It's uh, KFI AM 640, you said? And, yep. And the website is drwendywalsh.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, a little, I This was maybe one of my favorite interview I segments know, of all time. Here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was just, like sitting back and listening to you. Your voice is so soothing, too. Aww. I love everything about you. Thank you so much for joining us, Wendy. Thank you. Nice to see you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, so that was Dr. Wendy Walsh, who, again, be sure to check out her radio show on iHeartRadio, 640 AM. Um, Vanessa, we talked a little bit about me being marriage ready. Do you think you were marriage ready? We didn't really get a chance uh, to I mean, that. I didn't have a chance to ask Wendy, but I was going through my list while you were going through yours. And I think, I mean, I think I am. I just haven't found the, the right person. Because, I mean, my social circle, all my friends are married with kids, siblings, my sister's married with a kid. Um, my brother's younger than I am, so he's not married. Family history of marriage, my parents have each been married once. They're divorced. They've been divorced about 10, 11 years. Religion, I wouldn't say I'm, like, super religious. I come from a very religious upbringing because of my Italian background, but I would say I'm more attached to the cultural and traditions of my um of my culture. So like I want my kids to be baptized, but that's mostly because of my culture. And then in politics, I'm, um, I'm liberal. So I would, I mean, I think she said in politics, if you're more right winged, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to not get divorced. I think that's what she said. She just said, if you're the further right you skew, the younger you're, you're prone to get married, which leads to more divorce, which doesn't necessarily bode well or poorly. So, so yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ready, but I'm also right now at a point where I'm 30, I'm, I'm about to turn 31 in a couple of months, and not that I, I don't mind dating, but I'm also at a point where I'd rather just, I don't know, I'd rather someone just select someone for me and be like, okay, Vanessa, date this person and see how that goes, instead of me having to go 
actively search out to date someone. For the record, I have tried to set you up with two of my friends. You did, but I think, I don't know. I, wasn't one in a relationship? Nah, he was in a relationship like five months ago. Oh, okay. For I mean, the, you sent me pictures of him and, that, and then it stopped. Uh, well, because so you didn't, you didn't take any further action. So for the listeners out there, we, I was playing golf with three of my buddies and two of them are single and they were like, Hey, by the way, who's that girl that co-hosts your podcast with you? And obviously I raved about Vanessa. Great. Uh, you know, human being just in general. And they're like, Oh my God, like, please set me up with her. And I shared both of their profiles on Instagram with her and radio silence from Vanessa. Well, what so. am I supposed to do? No, I messaged you back. You sent me a picture of him and I messaged you back. And then you send me another video, and then I messaged you back. <laughs> and then he, like, he was messaging me through you. You were being the middleman. Oh. So. I'll have them both DM you separately, I guess. All right. Let's uh, see where this goes. All right. Um, all right. Well, so that was, again, Dr. Wendy Walsh, some great refreshing perspective and advice that she had about everything. Um, let's move on to one segment that I promised you the last time that we did not get a chance to. A few episodes ago, Vanessa, Jared, and myself promised to read some roasting reviews on iTunes store. If you guys leave us a five-star review and roast us in the comments, we will read our favorite, or I guess in this case, our least favorite ones out loud. Um, and so I'll start. This one is by Jap Cop, five-star review. Thank you very much. Uh, Dean, I like to think of you as Jack from Titanic. As much as Jared and Vanessa want you to hold on, there's just not room for you. At the end of the day, you still freeze up, and at some point, they're going to have to let you down to sink to the bottom of the ocean where you belong. But don't worry. We'll hardly notice you're gone because Jared will continue to talk over 90% of the podcast. Oh, that's actually really funny. That one's That's one of them. All right, that's Vanessa, really your turn. Okay, I'll read mine. I don't know who they're from. Um... But this actually made me laugh. Okay, so I don't know who this is from, but pretty funny. Vanessa, so you pooping with the door open in front of your significant other is appalling. And I just have to say this. I know you think your shit don't stink. Boom, roasted. Got him. That one's pretty good. All right, this one is from C. Wilts, five stars. Uh, buckle up as Dean distances himself from vulnerability by pulling back and asking general philosophical questions and punting the question to other hosts. Boom, roasted. That's not very nice. Okay, that was okay. I, I like the other one, the Titanic reference. Okay, mine. Everything Vanessa says <laughs> is either about Montreal. Okay, I love Montreal. Or pooping. Very true. Boom. Roasted <laughs> Vanessa has a bachelor has a bachelor related podcast. Also, Vanessa has not watched any of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've kind of got a point there. They're yeah, they're on the ball. Yep. All right, last yeah. one for me is by Emma Ray One Two Three. Uh, this podcast is great if you want to listen to Dean wonder why none of his relationships last more than a week when he does everything the exact same thing every single time. Boom, Ooh. roasted. And she's got a great point. Is that like one of your exes? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay, um, my last one. Vanessa repeatedly asserts that she, one, is Canadian, two, Italian, and three, unable to learn or understand the American schooling system. These three offer half-baked opinions on relationships and dating barely held in check by Mark. They're saving grace. People are mean on the internet, I'll tell you what. But hey, keep them coming. If you're listening right now, give us a five-star review. Roast us in the comments. If we like them or hate them enough, we'll read them on air next week as well, and we'll read them with Jared as well. So get them in there. Um, that'll do it for this week's episode of Help, I Suck at Dating. We're excited to have Jared in next week to talk a little bit more about his engagement with Ashley. That just feels weird to say. Um, big, big thank you to our sponsor, FabFitFun. Be sure to check out the box. Use code DEAN. Um, and save $10. Big, big thank you to Dr. Wendy Walsh for being a guest here in studio yes. and offering a very refreshing perspective on just all things life and dating and love and sex. Um, be sure to tune in next week. We're going to have a great episode for you with Jared in studio here. Vanessa, anything you'd like to add? Um, I will keep talking about poop, so thanks, guys. <laughs>
All right. Tune in next week when Vanessa sucks a little bit less at pooping. <laughs> Follow Help by Suck at Dating with Dean, Vanessa, and Jared on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. That was a good enough outro, yeah.